So last week, Tim Quant totally smashed it as he talked about the God of beauty. And he referred to a passage in Genesis 2 that kind of spoke to me as I was preparing my message, as I was preparing and thinking about what um, God wanted me to speak on. And he talked about Genesis 2 where God created the earth and he created man and he said it was good. But it wasn't just good, it was really good. It was beautiful. You know, I, I read that passage and it talks about how the Garden of Eden had beautiful trees and a river flowing through it. It had gold and onyx stones. You know, it, it was a beautiful, beautiful place, completely, completely untouched. And God had created man and he'd placed the man in the Garden of Eden. And, you know, he didn't just place man in the Garden of Eden to have relationship with him, although that was, you know, God's heart and his desire. But it says that God placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. So, you know, man was there in relationship with God, but he had a purpose and a calling. And the amazing thing about this passage is that sin hadn't, hadn't entered the world yet. So, you know, you can just imagine that Adam was there, he had a purpose and a calling, and he had total companionship with God. Yeah. You know, a really, really close communion with God. There was nothing kind of standing in the way of God and man, no barrier at all. Yeah. So picture the scene, okay? You've got the Garden of Eden, beautiful, beautiful surroundings, You've got Adam who's hanging out with God and just kind of chilling in the garden, but also has a purpose and a calling. So he, you know, he's got a sense of meaning and he has total uninterrupted communion with God. And up to this point, God says what he has created is good. But then he says, but it's not good for man to be alone. Yeah. You know, right at the beginning of time, the beginning of scripture, you know, it's not a result of the fall. It's just because it's part of our identity and part of who we are, and it reflects part of who God is, is that we are called to be in relationship, and we're called to be in community, and we're called to walk with others and not just on our own. And obviously, the relationship of Adam and Eve is a relationship of marriage and partnership, but you know, I think that this extends wider than marriage. It extends to just who we are that God creates us to be interdependent beings, that we're created to, to walk with others and to push each other on in our relationship with God and to push each other into the things that God has called us to. So that's what I want to speak on this morning. Um, I was flying back from London just last week. Um, for those of you that don't know, I've got a bit of a funny job, but I work for Tear Fund, amazing, amazing charity, and um, I, I've really had the privilege of being able to work um, in a new role with them that was meant to be based down in London full-time, but I managed to wing it that I could do it from Glasgow. <laughs> Miracle in itself. Took a bit of negotiating, but God was there. <laughs> so I get to do it from Glasgow, but on the basis that I have to head down to London every fortnight for a couple of days to spend um, in head office, which is fun. It's really fun, really, really great environment to be. And so I spend my fair share in Gatwick Airport, fair share of time in Gatwick Airport. And as I was walking through Gatwick Airport just last week, I came across this poster. It's going to come up in a minute. I love it. Look, it's, it's one of the HSBC adverts. I don't know if you've seen them in Gatwick Airport. HSBC are all over. They've got this really cool one of this girl, like, 
flying. And then they've got this one of this little girl with these goggles on. And it spoke to me because it said, um, to succeed in life, you need some powerful allies. And then I don't know if you can read at the bottom, but it says, together we advance. Isn't it so true that when we are in good and healthy relationships with people who are edifying us and spurring us on, who are standing alongside us and, and calling out the gold in us, we, can, we feel like we can do anything. We feel like we can really do anything. And I think that's kind of true for everyone in the world. But of course, we're people who are passionate about not just advancing for advancing's sake and not just succeeding for succeeding's sake, but to advance the kingdom of God, to see heaven come on earth. I was tempted, I didn't, I was tempted to doctor that, that um, you know, thing and add Together we advance the kingdom of God. <laughs> Just in a prophetic statement there in Gatwick Airport. But I decided not to because I thought I might get done for vandalism. <laughs> but I think that's what we're all about. Together we advance the kingdom of God. You know, I haven't been around like Hope as long as a lot of people. But what really struck me when I first joined this community was people's passion and desire to see heaven come on earth. You know, and we're, we're sitting here, we're a group of people, and we all, all have different dreams, we all have different passions, we all have different desires and callings on our life. But what really brings us into unity with one another is that we want to do all of those things to see God's kingdom advance. You know, whether that's in the music industry, in business and commerce, in health, in education, in parenting, in whatever we're called to do at this stage of our life, we want to do it with excellence. And we want to do it in a way that sees heaven come on earth. You know, it's in Hope's DNA. It's in our vision statement. And I have to tell you, it's attractive because I came into this environment and I thought this is an attractive place to be. It's an edifying place to be. It's a place that spurs me on to greatness in a good way. <laughs> but I want us to remember that we can't do this without relationship with others around us. People behind us, people alongside us, people in front of us, people surrounding us. To succeed in life, we need some powerful allies. So I want us to spend some time this morning um, thinking about who those powerful allies are, what type of relationships we need as we walk out the callings God has put in our life, and you'll be pleased to know what the Bible models about this. You know, we're going to look, look at the Word and, and pick out an example from there. You know, and we could look at a whole lot of different types of relationships. Um, we don't have time to do that. It could probably be a series in itself. But uh, I, as I was praying about kind of what it is about that statement and what it is about relationship that God wanted me to bring this morning, I just, I kept coming back to the passage of Elijah and Elisha. And I, I, I just couldn't get away from it. And so I sort of dug into the word and I dug into that scripture and, and I just asked God to pull out what, what it was that he wanted to speak to us about from that word this morning. So we're gonna, um, just so you can kind of cue it up, um, we're gonna look at uh, 1 Kings 19 starting at verse 10. But before that comes up, I just want to set the scene a little bit for those that aren't familiar with the story of Elijah and Elisha, what it's all about. 
But, you know, it's one of the most well-known mentoring and discipleship relationships in Scripture. It's centered around two men's callings. So God had called them both, I believe, before they were born, to be God's messengers to the kings of their time. They were called to be prophets to the nation. They were called to fight idolatry. And they were called to restore worship to to God, the true king of Israel. And although they were different, and we're going to come on to that, they were different in character. They were different in how they did some of their ministry. They, you know, their relationship with one another was key to their success. So just before we read the passage together, let's just pray. Lord, I just thank you so much that we are not called to be alone, that we're called into relationship with you and that we're called into relationship with each other. And Father, you say iron sharpens iron. And I thank you that we have got some amazing people here in this room today who um, carry such amazing anointings and who carry such amazing things. And Father, I thank you that together we can push each other on and we can um, play such a key role in each other's lives to see us walk into the fullness of who we are and the fullness of what you've called us to. So Lord, open our eyes and open our ears this morning. Let us incline our ear to you, to your Holy Spirit, and hear what you're saying to us this morning as a church. As we unpack this Bible passage, I just say less of me and more of you, Lord. Amen. Cool. So, Elisha 1. Uh, Sorry, 1 Kings 19, starting at verse 10. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I don't know what's going to come up, but I'll read from this if that's okay. Oh, I'll I'll read from there. He replied, so this is um, Elisha coming to God. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. We're going to carry on looking through the passage, but let me just stop there. And let's just have a look at what's happening in this passage. So we see in this passage a man, Elijah, who's been very zealous for the Lord. He really has put himself out there. If you read read of Elijah's ministry, which we don't have time to, he 
He is courageous. He's a courageous man of God. And actually, just before that, he's been at Mount Carmel, and he's been um, challenging the prophets of Baal to say, you know, show us who your God is. You know, that famous passage, the fire coming down, go and read it. It's seriously amazing. But he's put himself out there, and, and actually, now he's got to the point where he's now on the run from Jezebel. He's, he's scared that they want to kill him. He's frustrated. I think he's ready to give up. And most of all, he's lonely. I'm the only one left. You know, you think about the scale of anointing, the magnitude of the things that Elijah's been doing, the impact that he's having on the nation. But you know, it was a lonely place, that place of ministry. And it had led Elijah to come away and to plead with God. And what does God say to him? Not in the wind, nor in the earthquake, but in a small voice. Go and anoint two other kings, and then go and anoint Elisha, who will succeed you as prophet. You know, I'm slightly paraphrasing, but I I think that God was saying, I have someone who I want you to take under your wing, who will walk alongside you, and who will succeed you in your ministry. Now, you've got to remember, Elijah was quite a character. He was pretty solitude. He lived in caves, didn't hang out with many people. (laughs) But I think there's two things. I think God knew, knew, firstly, that God knew that Elijah's ministry was a lonely place. And that he was, at this point, he was kind of at breaking point, and he was in need of community to be able to continue to the end. And it was time for him to have some company. And secondly, and maybe more importantly, that God wanted Elijah to pass on his mantle, to pass on all that he had learned of his relationship with God and his calling and what he'd learned in that time. And so that, that, you know, I guess his calling and his ministry wouldn't end with him when he died, but would be passed on to the next generation, that he would leave a legacy. And even maybe though he didn't know it at the time when he was going to anoint Elisha, that he was going to allow Elisha to stand on his shoulders and do even greater things than him. So we read on in verse 19, if we just skip forward to 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burnt the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. What I love about this passage is that amazing symbolic act that Elijah does as he places the cloak on Elisha. It has such weight in it. You know, this is right at the beginning of Elisha's ministry. Up till then, he'd been, you know, the son of a wealthy farmer. We know that because they had 12 yoke of oxen. That is, you know, you can can plow a big field with that. Um, And, you know, right at the beginning of his ministry, 
Elijah puts his cloak on Elisha to signify that he would become Elijah's successor. But also, you know, it's this public recognition of the calling that God has placed on Elijah's life. You know, it's like he's saying, I'm publicly communicating through this act. I'm calling you to follow me, and I'm calling you to walk in the calling that God has placed on your life. You know, and in that, Elijah is sort of saying, I'm committing to you. You know, I'm committing to relationship with you. I'm calling you to follow me, but I'm not just sort of calling you and then leaving you. I'm calling you to truly follow me. And I'm wanting to kind of call you into, call you into your anointing. You know, I think it's an act of honor and it's an act of commitment. And I think that that act gives way to Elisha to have the courage to give up everything. Because he gives up everything. Yeah. You know, he, 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 he sort of says, okay, I'll follow you. He kisses his mother and father goodbye. But he doesn't just do that. He goes and slaughters his whole oxen and all the equipment, cooks up a feast. And he's sort of in that saying, I'm not coming back, guys. <laughs> this is me. <laughs> And so there is a real, I think, in Elijah's act of saying, you know, I'm, I'm truly sort of publicly doing this. It gives him the courage to say, yeah, I'm going to walk out my calling and I'm going to follow and I'm going to learn and I'm going to walk into all that God has for me. You know, we see parallels of the story I guess, of Jesus' ministry, don't we, in this? Because Elijah feels like a little bit of a foretaste of Jesus as he like, approaches the disciples who are busy fishermen and says, come and follow me, drop everything. Don't even, actually, it gets a step further, doesn't it? Because don't even go back and like, bury the dead, like, just come and follow me. Um, and, you know, we see something of Elijah and Elisha's sort of, and we'll talk about that, but his, their sort of relationship that sort of mirrors and parallels the relationship between Jesus and his disciples, and how we do life together. So then he set out to become Elijah's attendant. That's what it says there. So what have we got? We've got that God speaks to Elijah very clearly and says, go and anoint two kings and go and anoint Elisha. And then we've got Elijah going to Elisha and doing that massive symbolic act right at the beginning of Elisha's ministry. And we have this kind of, this, this paragraph of seeing Elisha give up everything and go and follow him, to follow in what God's called him to do. And I think the interesting thing about the next bit of kind of the story of their relationship is that in that moment, in some ways, Elisha knew what he was called to do. He knew his calling. He knew that he was going to become, really, Elijah's successor and go on to do the things of, of, of Elijah. But... There's something about their walk together, and Bible scholars reckon that they walked together for about six years. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't say that in the Bible, but that's, that's what they've sort of deduced from the passages. And there's something about those six years of living together and being in relationship that was important for Elisha, because although he knew what he was called to do, he needed those years of training and relationship and discipleship and mentoring before God said, okay, now is the time for you to kind of take on that mantle. It's not an insignificant amount of time, I don't think. 
And, you know, I guess it plays a key role in, in forming Elisha, in teaching Elisha, and in helping him to truly live out his calling. And, and you know, I, I sort of, I can't help but, but see the parallels between this and, and what Jesus did. Because Jesus, I guess, had this, in, had this intense time of ministry for three years. And actually, Jesus could have just done that ministry on his own because he didn't really need anyone, did he? he, he and he had a, like, yeah, he, he just did some of the most amazing things. But what he did was he, he called 12 people who really didn't even get it <laughs> half the time. You know, like, didn't just didn't even get it. You kind of think, really? We're like, Peter and, you know, like, these guys called to be your successors, Jesus? Really? Like, they so often questioned God, never, I don't know, didn't get it half the time. Um, but Jesus allowed them, called them, and allowed them to walk with him for three years, to learn from him, to catch something of what Jesus carried being God and all that, and, you know, and be released into taking that on to then also make disciples and to see heaven come on earth. You know, these key formative relationships allowed Elisha and the disciples to, you know, have really big access to the people that they were learning from. And that's, that's like a real, real challenge. <laughs> because I think it's, it's quite easy sometimes to sort of like pray for people and, you know, call things out of people and speak words of knowledge into people. But it's a harder thing to say, yeah, you have access to my life. <laughs> in the highs and in the lows, in, in everything, you know, yeah, you, you just come and follow me and, you know, as I go off and do things that I believe God's called me to, you get to see that, you get to see when it works, when it doesn't, you know, that's, I think that's a harder, harder mantle to, to, to have put on us. But, you know, these relationships that we look at, we look at Elisha and Elijah, we look at Jesus and his disciples, you know, they ate together, they did life together, they did ministry together, and these guys got to learn through watching, through serving, through helping, and it was a really intentional relationship. And almost before they were left to walk fully in their calling, you know, they had to have these times of just learning and serving and being and catching something of what these, you know, men of God were, were doing. So it means that when it comes to the point when Elijah is called to heaven and to pass on the mantle to Elisha, Elisha has seen some pretty amazing things. You know, he's seen the miracles. He's seen how Elijah handles situations. He's seen how he you know, dresses kings and, and you know, all, all the things that, that Elijah does. And then he's seen his relationship with God and, and the core of that. And, you know, Elisha has been transformed. 
And he's learned what he's really needed to. And now he's ready. And so in 2 Kings 2, we read, so, so we've kind of skipped forward, so we've sort of had a few um, chapters of Elijah and Elisha walking together. We skip forward to 2 Kings 2, verses 5, verse 5. In fact, if we just go back to the beginning of that passage, that's probably better. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, because <laughs> that's a pretty cool way to go. <laughs> Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? (laughs) Yes, I know, Elisha replied. But do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And I'd love to see this interaction between Elijah and Elisha. (laughs) You know, just stay here. You know, I'll I'll go and do my thing. And Elisha's like, no, I'm going to come with you. (laughs) But actually, I think that speaks so also of like Elisha's like hunger, you know, hunger to be with this man, to take everything out of him that he can take out of him right up until God takes him away. He says, you know, stay here. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over, on dry land. Yeah. That would be cool to see, you know? It's like a mini um, parting of the Red Sea, yeah, isn't it? It's like, well, the Lord did it for the Red Sea. He can do it for this. (laughs) So he struck the water, and and it parted, and they they crossed over. When they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. I wonder whether Elijah was expecting this. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elijah replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it it will be yours. Otherwise, not. And as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. (laughs) I just think that's so cool. 
Can you imagine? Ah, so, you know, there's a few things I want to take from this bit of the passage that, that God spoke to me about. Because, you know, this whole thing that Elisha says, I want to inherit a double portion of your spirit, you, you know, you could think, wow, that is a bold ask. And, you know, like Elijah did some pretty cool things, and yet you want a double portion of what he did and, and of his anointing and of his spirit. But I think there is something... There's, there's a few things that, you know, we reflect upon kind of that, that hunger and that desire is, A, I don't think God would have given him the double portion unless he had a pure motive and a pure heart. And so I think that Elisha actually was just really hungry to see more of God's kingdom advance. And he'd seen what Elijah had done and almost kind of walking with Elijah birth this kind of expectation of great things that God could do in his nation and kind of birth a kind of a hunger and a passion just to see more of God and what God wanted to do. And maybe he had vision for, you know, even greater things than Elijah had sort of had seen. And, you know, I just think that there is, there's something as we hang out with people who, um, are walking in something that God has put in them that just creates this hunger of more of God. You know, our spirit kind of gets awakened and goes, ooh, like, you know, I want to see more. I'm going to expect more of that. I'm going to see more of that. And, you know, the other thing, I just think it's so interesting how many parallels with Jesus' teaching there are. I guess it's not surprising because it's one God, you know, working through the ages. But I think Elisha got something of Jesus's command that said, you know, very, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now Jesus said, you know, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And Elisha, you know, years and years and years before that, saw something of that, you know, God can do infinitely more than we could ever ask and imagine. And I'm hungering for that because my nation needs it. And because it's not, you know, because it's not me, because it's God. And so God can do so much more. And so, you know, obviously he sees Elijah being taken up to heaven in a whirlwind, and that's confirmation that God has granted him like a double portion of his anointing. But what would you do then? You know, you're kind of, you're then suddenly standing there on your own. Elijah's been taken away from you. You've been walking with this guy for six years or, you know, however long it was really intense relationship, you know, watching, learning, everything, acting, and then suddenly you're on your own. Yeah. But, you know, what, what does Elisha do? It says, we just skip over to 13. It says, he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of Jordan. 
Can you imagine? You know, <laughs> you've picked up the cloak. This is like, this is the symbol that I am, you know, I'm going to be Elijah's successor. You've picked it up and you think, right, I'm here at the Jordan. So then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over into it. You see, the thing about this is actually just that he just did what he saw Elijah doing. You know, Elijah's last miracle is Elisha's first miracle on his own. It's exactly the same. Elijah finishes by passing passing the Jordan, and Elisha goes, right, what have I seen him doing? I've seen him doing this. I've seen it. I've expected it. I've had faith for it. I'm on my own, but hey, I'm following the same God. And his expectation is that, you know, that he, he, you know he'll, he'll see the same things, and that's exactly what happens. You know, we don't have time to look at Elisha's whole ministry this morning, but the interesting thing is, is that you see a lot, well, you see at least three of the same miracles that Elisha does, that Elijah did. So Elisha, you know, raises a boy from the dead later in two kings, and he does it much like Elijah did it. In fact, do you know the passage? It's a little bit of a faux pas. (laughs) He, He goes and he lies on the boy, you know, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. But it's kind of like he's like, well, I've seen this. I've seen, I've seen Elijah do this. This is what he did. And I saw it, and I saw that it worked, you know. And I saw that God raised that boy, you know, back then. And so he just does exactly what he sees Elijah doing and raises the boy from the dead. And then you've got the, the story of the widow who doesn't have any oil, the picture of the oil, you know, that one where God just keeps providing the oil. Well, you know, that looks very similar to the one in 1 Kings where Elisha, Elijah sorry, also provides flour and oil yeah. to a widow. Yeah. You see, they kind of carry the same values. They interact, you know, it's like the heart for the widow. They have the same values. And they have the same acts and miracles that they, that they see kind of happening out of their ministry. And I think they have the same expectation and faith because we learn from those that we're walking with and who are walking in the same calling as us. And as they pursue Jesus and as they pursue his heart and as they become more like him, we also become more like them and more like Jesus because we are also pursuing the same God And I felt like it was important to say at this point that, like, we don't just become mini-me's of those people. That's really important to hear here. It's like we are our own people, and God has called us to our own things and to our own destinies, and he's giving us our own characters, and he's given us our own personalities. And actually, if you look at Elijah and Elisha, they they were quite different. Elijah went and hid in caves. Elisha interacted with people a little bit more. You know, they were their own people. They had their own personalities and their own characters. But they were 
sort of moving in similar things that God had called them to, and the outworking of that looked very similar. So what does this look like for us as a community? I guess, when, as I was preparing, I guess I was just reminded of a relationship that I had um, as I was growing up um, back in Guildford with this lady called Biz. And I must have been about 16 or 17 at the time, and she was in her late 30s, early, early 40s. And, you know, I formed a really close relationship with her, and she just was, was moving in something that I was just so hungry for. She, she was a really prophetic lady, and she was the type of person who really knew kind of the truth of that, you know, that scripture in 1 Corinthians that, that says, do you know that you're a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Like, she absolutely knew that because she was walking really close communion with the Holy Spirit. It was like you'd, you'd talk to her and she'd be double listening. She'd be listening to you, listening to the Holy Spirit, listening to you, listening to the Holy Spirit. I was really intrigued by this because I was like, wow, you know, that I, I want to learn how to do that. I want my mindset to be shifted so that I start doing that. You know, it's like I knew that I had access to the Holy Spirit inside of me, but there was something that needed to be like trained and learned in how I live, live out that kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, I'd go to her with like big life problems and I'd say, oh, Biz, you know, this is happening in my life. And, and she, what I really appreciated about her was that she didn't just give me the answers that the Holy Spirit had kind of like been downloading to her. She'd say, what's Holy Spirit saying? Right in the middle of the conversation, you know, she'd just go, what's Holy Spirit saying? And I go, oh, well, I need to go away and pray about that. No, what's Holy Spirit saying now? Just Listen. You know, we'd like sit and we'd talk and she'd just go, just listen, just, just take a moment, just listen. And I'd go, well, I think that maybe like God's saying this. She's like, absolutely, you know, go and walk in that. You know, and the more I hung out with her and the more she modeled that to me, the more I was like, oh, I can actually like just talk to the spirit all the time, you know, on every occasion, just never cease praying. But I learned that from her. It's like it was in me, like the spirit knew that, that it wanted to do that, but I kind of had to be modeled it. And the more I hung out with her, the more, you know, you'd say I, the more I became like her, the more I became like me and ha- what God had called me to be like, and the more my relationship with God flourished because the Holy Spirit was kind of like rubbing off on me. Because actually, you know, giftings aren't like commodities. Like, giftings are the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, our English expression to rub off means to have an effect through close association or contact, so as to make similar. But when we're around people who are operating in the gifts of the spirits, we're actually around the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit kind of rubs off on us, and we, you know, our hunger for for that, like, rubs off on us and alights our Holy Spirit and wakes up our Holy Spirit. And so that relationship was just really important to me. And it's really formed, like me, you know, it's really formed a big part of who I am. So, coming into land, like what does, what does it mean for us? God said it was not good for man to be alone. We're built to be in relationship with others that help us thrive, that help us succeed, that help us move more into the calling that God has called us into to advance the kingdom of God. 
And maybe you're sitting here thinking, you know, I, I am hungry to grow. You know, maybe you, you know what you're called to. Maybe you've even started walking in it. But you know that there is something in you that wants to grow in that more and truly fulfill kind of your calling or, or like who you're made to be. And I thought it was really important to say, like, you know, maybe that's, you know, I, I sometimes think we look at these passages and we go, well, Elijah and Elisha were called to speak to kings. Well, I'm not really called to do that. <laughs> you know, that's a pretty big anointing and a pretty big calling. That doesn't really look like what I'm called to. But I just felt like God was saying, you know, like everything that we're doing in life, like we need people around us who will sharpen us and who will teach us and who will speak into our lives, you know. You know, whether that's, you know, in your career or in your ministry or maybe in the giftings that you feel God has given you. Maybe it's in the area of parenthood. You're called to be a parent in this season and you want to do that well because that's what you're called to and you want to do that in a godly way. You know, I would encourage you to seek out people who, who have modeled something that you are attracted to because you see something of God in it. You know, and we've just gone through our appraisal system at work. You do appraisals, end of year appraisals. There's always that section that says continuous learning and professional development, you know. And, you know, a good manager will always say, you've got to take ownership of your growth. You know, you've got to take ownership of your growth, but I will help you. You know, tell me what you want to do, and I'll give you access to those things. I'll give you access to those people or access to those courses or whatever. You know, and I really believe that God is saying to us, like, let's take ownership of what we feel God has put in us, whether it's a seed, whether it's we've started really walking out in it, and let's, like, pursue relationship with people in this room or people outside of this room. The beauty of being in a global kind of world these days is actually we have access to kind of people living everywhere. I was thinking in preparing for this, you know, Joe and Kez, Kezia, like, wanted to go out to Thailand because um, they saw those people, like, raising the dead. They were like, I want to go and hang out with them. I want to see that, you know? And, um, I mean, obviously, we can't all do that, but there is just something about seeing the things that you want to see because you know it's out there because you know that is what God is like and you see people moving in it and pursue them, pursue that relationship with them. But on the on the other side as well, you know, we've got the Elijahs who, you know, are walking in those things that God's called them to do and have learned great lessons, have seen great things. And, you know, I'd really encourage you as people, because we're kind of all Elijahs and we're all Elishas, really, actually. You know, we're all walking in something that other people are like, you know, I have yet to experience or have yet to learn about God. And so, you know, like, who are we sowing into intentionally? You know, who, who, who's around that doesn't know as much of a sent aspect of Jesus that really, you know, could really do with learning that lesson and walking alongside us and having access to our lives? I'm not saying it's easy, because actually it's quite, it's quite difficult but I think that we need to be people who, who 
because we want to advance the kingdom of God and we want to see God do great things on this earth, we need to allow people to walk with us, to stand on our shoulders, and to do even greater things than we have seen. Spur them on to do even greater things than we have seen. So, you know, that is my message to you this morning. You know, where are the Elijahs? Where are the Elishas? Who are you investing in? Who are you pursuing so that you can really live out the calling that God has put on your life?